0: The Project Upland Podcast is brought to you in part by Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. Adventure awaits. And by Onyx Maps. Know where you stand. You are listening to the Project Upland Podcast. I am your host, Nick Larson. Welcome back to the show for episode number 37. The podcast is brought to you by Onyx Maps. Know where you stand. Download the Hunt app today from the iTunes or Google Play Store. And by Pine Ridge Grouse Camp, where adventure awaits you. Look up Pine Ridge Grouse Camp on Facebook. They've got some cool stuff coming up. They've got a shoot that is nearby in August. They also have their wild flush party scheduled for Grouse Opener here in Minnesota mid September. If you're in the area, if you're going to be, you want to check out Pioneer's Grouse Camp, hang out with some cool people, have a couple beers, talk birds, talk brews, talk guns, all that fun stuff. There's going to be some live music, some stuff for sale, all kinds of cool stuff. Check out Pioneer'sGrouseCamp.com. Otherwise, look them up on Facebook. They share a lot of information there and some of their event notices. Check it out. Hunting season is coming up. Can't believe it. And with the season right around the corner, you better dust off those boots, go through that gear. Check out the closets, the bins. What do you got? Take inventory. If you need a new pair of hunting boots, specifically a premium, high-quality pair of handcrafted rubber boots, you better check out gumleafusa.com and use the promo code PU2018. Get your free shipping on anything from gumleafusa.com. I wore mine yesterday. It was soaking rain here all day. Took the dog out for a run. Needless to say, my feet were dry and cozy. I love my Gumleaf boots. They are my favorite pair of grouse hunting boots. At least in the covers that I hunt, I love them. Check it out gumleafusa.com. Use the promo code PU2018. This week's winner of the Project Upland podcast giveaway is Joe Lamberson. Joe is a listener, he's also a musician down in the Nashville, Tennessee area. Joe, send me a nice email. Check in. Give us some feedback on the podcast. We appreciate it. Joe, thank you so much. We'll have a hat or a t-shirt on the way to you very soon. You, the listeners, anybody could be next week's winner of the podcast giveaway. Just make a meaningful contribution to the show in any and or all of these ways. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review, subscribe to the podcast, make sure you subscribe on whatever app you're listening to. We appreciate that. Share the podcast episodes or send us some quality feedback, suggestions. We appreciate it. We do this for listeners, and you help us make it better each and every week. Use the contact form at projectupton.com or send me an email directly. I love to hear from you. Nick.larsen at northwoodscollective.com. All right, everybody. Today's interview coming up. It's a good one. It is August. I can't believe it. Hunting season is right around the corner. Seriously, I'm jumping out of my skin right now. Everybody I talk to, all the conversations I have, everybody's excited. And I know that you are as well. If you're listening to the Project Upland podcast, I think that's a fair assumption. On today's show, we have Dr. Christina Mott. That's right. I said Dr. We are classing it up on the Project Upland podcast this week. Christina is the head vet owner at Town and Country Veterinarian Clinic in central Wisconsin. She's an up and bird hunter. She is a breeder of duck tolling, retrievers, German short hairs. She kind of does it all in the world of up and hunting sporting dogs. She's super sharp. Had an awesome conversation with her about where her passion lies, her interest, how she got into being a vet and an Upland hunter, a little bit about dogs, breeds, and of course, how to take the best possible care of our sporting dogs. Christina shares some of this information via Upland Athlete, their Facebook page, Instagram account, check them out, Upland Athlete. She shares a lot of great stuff there. All right, let's get into it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Project Upland podcast. Let's welcome to the show... Dr. Christina Mott. All right, here we go, Christina. Welcome to the Project Up With Podcast. How are you?
1: Good. Thanks for having me.
0: It is my pleasure. Thank you for joining us on the podcast as we were just chatting. I think I can say this with certainty. You're the first veterinarian that we've had on the show, so thanks for being on. Yeah, no problem. So it's like I don't know what it's the weather well actually, let's uh let's let's do this. Put us on the map. Where are you, Christina?
1: I am in central Wisconsin. Um my clinic is in a town called Watoma in the center of Washara County. And I live in a tiny little town called Hancock. We're about just over an hour north of Madison in the center of the state.
0: Okay. Excellent. So what does wild bird cover look like in your area?
1: <laughs> we are a lot of um Deer and turkey in this area, pen-raised pheasants, and um, secretly woodcock and grouse. All the uh, old guys that are my clients around here, none of them believe that you can successfully grouse hunt here, but we have a lot of places that we go and are successful without having to drive too far, so we just don't talk about it very much.
0: Oh, that's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah, secret, secret <laughs> grouse have,
1: spot. I have some uh, state land about a half a mile down the road from my clinic where I can get a limit of woodcock on a lunch break, so...
0: Now that's living pretty good. Yeah. (laughs) Well, my, uh, my original question was going to be, I'm, I'm open to Lutha as the listeners probably know and they're tired of hearing, but, uh, I yesterday, you know, we had a couple of really nice days. Monday, Tuesday, it was like, it was hot, sunny, felt like summer Today it was it cooled down we had overcast skies it was like a damp misty rain all day and the feels like temperature on my weather app said 49 which is the (laughs) first time i think i have felt sub 50 degrees in that fashion where it's wet and overcast in a long time and i mean i was freezing we went out for lunch today but i kind of got a little bit excited because it kind of felt like october was it like that by you today at all
1: yeah, for sure. We had that a little bit in the last few days. We were a little humid and had some thunderstorms today, but we sat outside in the evenings last weekend and we were putting sweatshirts on and sweatshirts in the morning. And it's definitely exciting. The dogs are excited and um, definitely makes it feel like fall is not too far away.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All the, all the conversations that I'm starting to have with people, everybody's kind of turn the corner mentally for sure and now you know today being august 1st we know that next month is september and and uh our listeners and, and friends up in alaska they get to start bird hunting this month so i'm kind of jealous about that too yeah for sure <laughs> So before we dive into too much stuff here, what does summer look like for you right now? Obviously, you've got uh, your regular vet practice going on, but I know you're into dog training and you've got lots of dogs around the house. So what what does summer look like for you this time of year?
1: Um, We drink a lot of coffee and don't sleep much in the summer. (laughs) Got to take advantage of it while we can. Um, Our Town in our county is a vacation area, so the population of the county triples in size from about 20,000 to 60,000 from Memorial Day to Labor Day, so that's my busy time at the practice as well. Um, We bring all the teenagers in and college kids for summer help for extra sets of hands around there, and by default, they get stuck with my kennel chores when we're busy doing stuff as well. Um, My son is three and nonstop, and my husband has a few days off of work during the week, so we're not training. He's training when I'm gone at work and trying to do as much as we can and pretty much trialing in one way or another with the dogs because we compete in a lot of venues almost every weekend. So we stay pretty busy and then all of a sudden it's hunting season.
0: Yeah, it goes by fast. I mean, there's there's so much stuff to do and especially, you know, yeah, you know, like, like when we get on the home stretch like we are right now and you start You start feeling it a little bit, like, "Geez, we got to get these dogs tuned up. We got to get out on birds if we can." And it's going to be here before we know it. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, for sure. We just brought a bunch of uh, another round of quail home to throw in the bird pen a couple weeks ago. We have one of our um, kennel assistants has a young Brittany and is trying Navda for the first time here at the end of August. So that's the big push right now. Is getting her dog and her confidence ready for that and never hunted a day in her life. And we're determined to get her out this fall. So should be fun.
0: Awesome. Introducing introducing new folks to hunting. I mean, doesn't get much better than that. Yeah, for sure. Let's do this. Let's talk about how did you get into being a vet? And I'd be very curious if when and where um, upland hunting entered your life as well and kind of how that all meshes together.
1: Born and raised into upland hunting, grew up pheasant hunting with my dad in Illinois. Um, He always had a handful of Labradors around and I was always super into the dogs as well. Um, I remember being a kid and trying to run around in the brush and find the birds with the dogs, as opposed to actually being the one shooting the dogs uh, or shooting the birds, (laughs) sorry, not shooting the dogs, (laughs) job security for me.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um,
1: So yeah, I spent my whole life being raised around hunting dogs, training, hunting dogs, being my dad's bumper kid all summer long. And we used to have kind of a running joke. Um, He'd go out and train at the pond and be wearing, you know, boat shoes and khaki shorts and coming home clean and being the one handling the dogs. And I'd be, I had the toe covered in mud and soaking wet. I'm like, what just happened here? So, um, my kid is now paying the price for that. But um, yeah, in terms of being a vet, pretty much for as long as I can remember since I was five or six, just being inundated um, with. The dogs, I grew up with horses. I still have horses. I'm secretly very terrified of cats. I don't believe that they're actually fully domesticated, and I have a lot of um, scared respect for them, but <laughs> I hire people in my practice that really love cats, so it makes me look better because I'm petrified of them most times. Um, I'm I'm very much more comfortable with dogs, but I do see cats as well, and just the nature of small animal practice. Um, we probably run about Uh, 60 to 65 percent of our practice is dogs as opposed to cats and we are expanding more and more every day into um, performance dogs, elite athletes, hunting dogs. I compete in agility and obedience confirmation shows as well so um, that kind of expands into my dog friends kind of morph into my clients and I absolutely love seeing the well-bred health-tested well-thought-out, trained dogs come into practice. It's a lot of fun. I've had the opportunity in the last two years, since the beginning of last summer, so I guess about a year and a half now, uh, to work with some big-time Labrador field trial people that bought some property down the road from my clinic to train on. And now we see a lot of their people come in, and even just when they need little things or need more rehab things, Um it's a really nice, you know, group of people. I know they're going to take care of their dogs and do what they got to do to keep them working as well. So I really love seeing the performance dogs, but obviously my everyday practice is what keeps the lights on and the business going as well. So,
0: you know, that's, that's kind of interesting. It's something that I've thought about. And I think you, you sort of almost hear like word of mouth. If a, if a particular veterinarian is is sort of not that they specialize breeder they,
1: friendly is the word that you're looking yeah, for yeah <laughs> yeah
0: there you go breeder friendly and, and I always wonder if you know from your perspective as a business do you kind of do you could could a veterinarian specialize and and say you know we're in sporting and 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 like show dogs and kind of would you ever get rid of just sort of the everyday practice or do you just not get to that point?
1: Um, There is now recently a specialty, a board certified specialty recognizing um, sports medicine and rehabilitation in both dogs and in horses. So that's super cool. It's brand new. Um, You can get to that point where I live. We're not at that point. I'm actually the only small animal clinic in the entire County. So that's definitely a need based thing. Um, ultimately the going down the road, if I was able to expand enough into sports and performance dogs, obviously I could bring on an additional doctor to kind of take care of the everyday things, but we, we hundred percent have a need for that. And the breeder friendly thing is a thing that I went through with vet school as well. Um, I went to vet school in a very, um, shelter happy town, which is great. And I've worked a lot Lucy, with, um, Rescue dogs and foster dogs and whatnot as well. But you get this kind of headbutting behavior between breeders and vets often. And I, I've always kind of believed, even through school, that they need to learn to work together because obviously the breeders know their dogs and the vets know the medicine. So the best thing for the dog is if they can make a team. So I'm trying to be open to that. But I live in a small town where there's tons of backyard breeders as well. So slowly trying to educate without getting myself too frustrated literally sitting here talking to you in my kennel building three feet away from a current foster dog who is a stray that is about seven weeks pregnant that was dropped off at the clinic last week. Oh so, um, she is a mutt of all mutts and has a belly full of puppies. So we have no idea what is about to happen there. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, by default, we don't even have a shelter in this county, so we kind of end up taking care of things. My husband gets tired of me bringing things home from work, um, but it (laughs) happens. Especially
0: things that that eat and go to the bathroom, I would imagine. Yeah,
1: (laughs) for sure. So then I try to bring on enough staff to help take care of it. But, um, yeah, so there is definitely a need for just regular everyday medicine here still, but my passion lies in the uh, performance dogs for sure.
0: Awesome. Well, yeah, you know, like you said, being the only small animal hospital in the county it's I don't you probably wouldn't uh, wouldn't be able to find it in your heart to not serve that purpose for people
1: yeah for sure for sure and unfortunately kind of word gets out that we end up being suckers sometimes sure. um but yeah we do we have a pound in our county like the old-fashioned dog catcher yeah. um, so the best to the best of my ability I try to keep dogs out of there if at all possible so
0: sure well good on you for that the the dog that barked in the background which is totally okay in the project up podcast was that a Toller or short hair or something else
1: (sighs) oh this is why my husband's going to kill me it's my other foster dog that was a client (laughs) relinquished patient so it's a cattle dog mix who was in a terrible home from um, day one they were asking me how to make their dog stop biting their heels and the running joke is I don't know how do you make a retriever stop retrieving so it took about eight months until they were tired of her so she's mine until we find her home where somebody can keep her busy with horses or with a game of frisbee or fly ball or agility or something but she's 10 months old and is getting rambunctious wanting to play with her tug toy so i actually went out here specifically so i could spend some time with them since i knew i'd be contained for a little while um so my dogs are all out in their yards but these guys are out in the kennel building so
0: gotcha (laughs) yeah (laughs) tell us tell us a little bit about the kennel and and your dogs specifically
1: yes so my dogs um we have duct tolling retrievers and german shorthairs um i have a mother-son pair of german short hairs, although the, the running joke right now is i don't know whether or not i have the son anymore because he's been at training all summer in northwest wisconsin and he's training with the man that owned his sire and there's a lot of jokes about not sending him back, so <laughs> yeah. we are anxiously awaiting oh! his return at the end of the month. But he will be home soon. Um, his mom is five. I run her in Navda and AKC tests, and she's a lot of fun. The Toller's we are on our third generation now, and we do um, a lot of different stuff with them, both from confirmation showing through AKC field testing, no field trials or anything, but. Three generations of grand champion show dogs that have field titles and are actively out hunting in the fall. Um, our oldest toller is pretty much retired he can do local hunts and things but he's kind of really slowing down so our year and a half old my husband's pretty excited they're going on a trip to saskatchewan this year for ducks so he'll be getting out getting a lot of exposure but those guys actually really love to upland hunt too and they do a nice job on pheasants um and we can hunt them simultaneously with the short hairs they're also nice and super compact and easy to travel with so i do enjoy that with them
0: what is a what is a typical confirmation you know size and weight of a tolling retriever look like I, I I'm I know of the breed and I heard you talk about them before in the past but I'm not yep. really familiar with them
1: so your ideal female is going to be about 18 inches tall and the ideal male about 19 and a half but they can range from about 17 to 21 inches usually in a neighborhood of about 30 to 50 pounds obviously in proportion to their height and um, body size you get a lot of variety in this breed because it's not a super old breed, and it seems to be, if you go back far enough, um, there was big ones and there was little ones. There's not always a lot of moderate ones and some people will tell you that's because the coastal breeders bred them bigger for more ocean type retrieving and the more inland breeders on smaller um, ponds and bodies of water bred an even smaller more compact dog so we do see a ton of variety so trying to kind of stay true to type in that dog can be difficult sometimes when you're picking and choosing um pedigrees but yeah super moderately sized and way smaller than a labrador or a golden if you're looking at a toller and wondering if it's a little golden then the toller is too big
0: yeah yeah 19 you know 17 19 inches but still 50 pounds so so that'd be like a 21 inch dog at 50 pounds i mean that's that's a pretty that's a pretty compact dog
1: my um, young male is he's kind of got the most substance of any of our boys. He runs about 48 pounds and he's still only about 19 and a half, 19 and three quarters inches tall. So he's a pretty solid dog. Yeah. Um, we have his uncle who's the exact same height and runs like 41 pounds. So you can see the difference in, yeah. in substance there, but yeah, they're, um you know, they're easy enough to throw in a car and go camping for the weekend or do whatever you want to do. And they're not this big lug that's, um, kind of taking up a lot of space, but they're sturdy enough to go hike, bike, run, hunt, you know, whatever you wanna. They're super versatile. As are the short hairs, which is kind of why I like both breeds.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, is there a what are the origins of the duck retriever?
1: Um, there, there's a lot behind them. Goes back to some Chessies, the Dutch decoy dog, um, and like a lot of farm collies as well. So there are some bigger retrievers behind them, but you get a lot of collie traits that will come through, um, with them. So. The Dutch decoy dog. I'm not even going to try to say the name of that breed correctly <laughs> when it's going to be recorded. Um, but yeah, they're another little little um, duck dog. So they have a lot of variety behind them.
0: Awesome, and obviously, obviously, very good swimmers. What are they? What are they like in in the upland fields?
1: Um, They're actually very successful in upland, so they're not run in upland tests in AKC because our breed standard does not specifically mention upland hunting, although tons of people use them for pheasant hunting and grouse hunting. We have... Recently, as a club, there's been some people in this area trying to get them approved to be able to run upland tests, Um, so that's, like, how common it is. It's kind of a thing in tollers that nobody's allowed to run them in upland tests, even though they are upland dogs, so they're very successful in upland. Um, You know, they hunt close natural retrievers, that sort of a thing, so...
0: Yeah, excellent. You you mentioned you're, you know, comfortable running them together with the short hairs. They make a nice combo like that. I imagine the short hairs are out a little bit further pointing birds and, and the duck tollers. Do you, do you send them in to flush if the, when the short hairs point?
1: Um, so the combination we usually do is one of our older tollers and then my female short hair, because she is a little bit rangier than my male. Um, if it's her bird, she will absolutely retrieve it because she's, she's a diehard retriever, but yeah, they do work, um, quite well together. And obviously if she's kind of covering too much ground, the older guy's a little bit more methodical. So he'll come into some areas in case she's missed something, but yeah, they've kind of hunted together for most of her life. So they, they figure out how to be a team as well.
0: Do you have a, you mentioned, a, I think you mentioned local training group. Do you have a NAVDA chapter nearby or is that who you're training with?
1: Um, lately, we have just been kind of getting a lot of local friends out and training here on our own property. I am a member of our local NAVDA club. It's North Central Wisconsin. Their training grounds are about 45 minutes from our house and mm-hmm. it's just really hit or miss on if I can kind of make their training days. I usually make it out a couple of times this summer, but uh, not super often because with the way that my schedule works and weekends work, sometimes it just works better to set everything up on a Wednesday afternoon and do all that as opposed to being able to make the Saturday training day.
0: Yeah, and that may, I mean you got you got little kids at home and and if you have the ability to train right there on the property, obviously. I mean, I have found, and I would imagine you'd echo, but uh, and I was just talking to my my buddy today. He was going out to a to a training grounds nearby, ten to fifteen minutes away, and. It's convenient and and easy enough for him to get there and do it consistently, and that's a big big part of training.
1: Yeah, we live on some acreage, and we don't really have any neighbors. Um, We have 1,600 acres of state land across from us, and then everything around us is privately owned land, and there's a lot of hay fields and stuff. Um, My husband's a conservation warden, and he's also the only one in the county, so everybody likes to stay on his good side. So if he finds a nice fresh-cut hay field or a little hidden pond he uh, will go ask for permission to train on it. And most people don't tell him no. So <laughs> uh, we can stay pretty local, but most of the places that we go, we can get there without having to put my son in his car seat. We can just let him sit in the car. Cause we're just on the dirt road next to the house. Yeah. Uh, not even a dirt road, a two track, like literally a farm road. So <laughs> um, yeah, it's nice to be able to do it here for sure. And we get the bird um, dog training license, the bird tags and whatnot so that we can launch birds and shoot them and My husband likes all the gimmicky little electronics and whatnot, so I have no desire to learn the ins and outs of every little dog trail launcher, this, that, and the other thing, but he sits and plays with it, and my three-year-old son can tell you which bird he's going to launch by which color, and he sits there with the transmitter and launches the bird trap, so (laughs) he's better at it than I am, but apparently he switched it because my husband tries to put the toggle on the wrong one so he can't do things and he knows when it's on the wrong one so he just changes it back and he will keep you on your toes when you're out in the bird field you never know when there's gonna be a bird that goes
0: off <laughs> that is too funny i've got a i well my son will be four months old next week so i'm just uh, i'm paying close attention here christina
1: yeah you're in for it
0: <laughs> sounds like it but that's awesome to hear about him being out in the field with dad and and mom and and launching birds i mean this. It's gotta be fun
1: yeah he uh he doesn't really miss much we ran the german short Hair pointer club of wisconsin water test last weekend and my female when it comes time for steadiness at the line listens to my husband a little bit better than i do uh or then oh well, yeah i don't listen to him right she listens <laughs> to him a little bit better than she listens to me so i had him runner and he's up there and uh my son and i were standing there watching and the one judge says um send your dog and he goes to send. <laughs> Jake looks at me and says, that's not daddy's dog. That's your dog. (laughs)
0: Like, it's okay. (laughs) But, uh, makes for a good time. Yes. All right. Let's, let's do a little bit of a transition here and talk about, I want to, uh, you know, we talked a fair bit, fair bit about dogs and, and the breeds and, and training and stuff, but I do want to take advantage of of uh, having you on the podcast here and, and talk a little bit about care for our own bird dogs and the dogs of, of the listeners. So right now, being that it is August 1st, hunting season is fast approaching. Conditioning is... Hopefully, on most people's minds, getting their dogs tuned up and ready for the season. Let's just start there. What What do you recommend as far as uh, conditioning? What do you do with your dogs, and, and what suggestions do you have for people?
1: Um, well, the absolute very first thing is, again, I'm, that I'm going to tell you is I always advise against the getting them ready for the season because I believe they should be in shape all year round um so I hate to see the injuries that come in and oh my gosh I see it in practice all the time of every dog that sat too long in the summer or spring through summer and then they went out hard on the first great weekend and they come up sore they got a broken toenail a torn pad a sore shoulder etc etc so obviously staying in condition all year is gonna behoove them better than just trying to whip them into shape during the month of August but Um, for our guys we kind of base a lot of what we do off of tick season so in the spring when the ticks get bad we go back to all road work where they're on leashes and they're um, run with us on the road as opposed to free field running we try to um, break up strength versus endurance training so strength training should be done about three to four days a week and for us strength training is either on like physio equipment at the clinic uh, like the dog therapy equipment, uh, the inflatable things that you see like fit pause or total fit type stuff. And I'm not endorsed by any of these companies. I'm just telling you what I have in my clinic versus like retrieving bumpers as a strength training, sprint workout, short swims in the water, specific strength exercises if like one of the older dogs is having a sore spot or a weaker muscle to target those areas. And then the other days are filled in with the endurance work, which long runs or free runs in the field, long swims. One of the things that I always like to tell people, it's kind of a tidbit of information, especially if you don't have a lot of time or you don't have the body condition to be able to do it, but 10 minutes of a straight swim. So if you're in a kayak or a canoe or you can walk laps around the pool To get them to swim is the equivalent of 30 minutes of road work, so it's a lot more efficient. It's lower impact on them, and it doesn't take quite as much time. Um, Besides just my regular veterinary degree, I'm certified in veterinary acupuncture and also um, in rehab therapy, so kind of the sports med side. I'm not boarded, but I am certified um, in canine rehab therapy, so that's kind of where all that stuff comes in. So, yeah, keeping them in condition is definitely a a fun thing for me. I also kind of promote um, people doing it with their dogs. I like to tease people when they run their dogs on four wheelers and golf carts and scooters and every other way to do it.
0: Like Just get out
1: there on foot and do it because you're going to appreciate it come fall too. I just had one of my big field trials trialers in last week and he said something about roading the dogs. And I was like, are you riding in a golf cart? Well, yeah. I was like, <laughs> get on foot and do it. So I like to kind of push them into it too. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. that That's a great, that's a great point. You know, hunting season is a short portion of the year and it's obviously I think we just, it's just a natural tendency to sort of base our mental framework around that hunting season and we're preparing in our minds. So we're thinking we got to get the dogs ready, but I mean, it probably can't be said enough that, you know, dogs need exercise all year long. And most, I think, at least I know my dog, if I stopped exercising him and didn't do much with him in the off season, he would let me know that's for sure. And it would come out in the, in many ways, but keeping the dogs in shape is, that's a big one.
1: Yeah, and obviously I write um, a couple times a month for Upland Athlete, too, and that's one of the things that I've said over and over is make them 12 months a year dog, keep them in shape all year, um, you know, keep them in condition that way. And uh, one thing we like to talk about with that is family dogs and house dogs as well, so they're integrated into a part of your life. They're not just out in the kennel Um Like, my dogs in my house, my five-year-old shorthair, who could run a million miles a day, spends half an hour snuggled in my bed at night. She does sleep in a crate because she's a complete bed hog, but (laughs) after snuggle time, then she gets down and put in her crate and same with the tollers. Um, Obviously, I have a lot of dogs having a whole kennel, so they can't all be in there, but... Um, otherwise they're just created downstairs we have kind of an attached kennel area to the house and then a separate kennel building which is kind of where the, the extras end up going but yeah keeping everybody kind of part of the family and going all year round is is definitely what I like to uh to promote
0: so on on the conditioning piece before we before we s- sort of move off of it I know this is a this would be kind of a broad question and obviously every dog and every everyone's different, but. Do you have do you have sort of a basic dosage and prescription that you could sort of detail like you know as just as far as like frequency of exercise length and duration just a basic level that you would do twelve months a year so people kind of say okay I'm not even close to that or yeah I'm about I'm about there with my dog
1: I think the spot where especially with our upland dogs where people are lacking is the strength training so everybody thinks about exercising their dogs by in the winter i went skiing i went snowshoeing i let them follow me on horseback i let them run we went for a jog everybody thinks how much can they run how much can they run how much can they run um i'm also a member of the Veterinary Sled Dog Association and I go to those conferences every couple of years and one of the best things that one of the most successful sprint racers will tell you is that he doesn't just hook his dogs up to his sled and run them to train them. They do so much cross training to keep those sled dogs in shape that that's where people are missing it with upland dogs because they think about have to go for a walk in the field and run them and what's going to happen is they're going to break down you need to target train those muscles so backing off and coming into a strength workout three days a week is going to really behoove you and get them out there core strength rear strength even little things in their digits the small tendons around their feet those sorts of things just kind of keeping that up and ready to go
0: Okay. Awesome. And and just to be clear, cause I think, you know, you're totally right. We hear so much less about strength training than just, you know, getting out and running the dogs. What are, you know, you mentioned a couple things that you have at your clinic earlier. What are, what are some of the, some of the ways that count as strength training? I think you mentioned retrieving bumpers just because the dog is sprinting. It's not just endurance yep. running, but a couple other, a couple other ways that people can strength train their dog.
1: So most of our hunting dogs are going to be in good enough shape that the super simple basics. When I tell my clients that have a dog with a sore shoulder, or a, a partial cruciate and they can't afford surgery and the dog's obese, we talk about using pillows and couch cushions and things for unstable surfaces under their feet. But some of these hunting dogs are much more elite athletes to start with. So you can take this dog that looks like they're in super condition and you put them up on one of those big peanut shaped physio balls and now they get the ball rocking, and you start to see where they break down, and most of it's going to be in core strength for them. Um, I have a bunch of pictures, too, that we can get up on um, Instagram, Facebook, et cetera, to kind of give a better understanding of what I'm talking about. But uh, it's balance, it's core strength, stability, elevation of front end to rear end, depending on which we're trying to strengthen more, obviously dogs carry about 60% of their weight on their front legs and 40 on the back. So if I'm trying to strengthen the rear, I got to get the front end up off the ground and put more weight on the back. Um, there's different things we can use ankle weights. If we're trying to target one side or the other, we can put them on a treadmill, have them walk uphill to strengthen the rear end. One thing about treadmill training is if you were actually going to trot a dog on a treadmill, the treadmill is supposed to be twice the length of the dog so that you're not altering their stride. However, you can get away with people treadmills um, for walking. If they're literally just walking and they're not trotting, it's okay if it's smaller, but um, obviously you can make it harder on them by going uphill. You don't have to go very fast. It's more the incline that's going to add some power to it.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what we'll do, Christine, I'll follow up with you and we'll get some, some links to maybe some of the articles that you've got for Upland Athlete. And I'll, I'll post some of that stuff in the show notes so people can look at it. Cause I, I think pictures would be helpful in, in this situation. Now, would Definitely you ever, sure. you know, like a, a weight vest? I, don't, I actually don't have one, but I was, I was telling Joe that I want to get a weight vest just because when I'm out walking the dog, I want to get a little bit more efficiency out of it. Throw a weight vest on weighted vest and, and make it a little bit harder. Would you ever put a weighted vest on a dog? Yeah, for
1: sure. So the way that we do it is not necessarily with like a vest that you think about, but if you look into more of the backpacking harnesses, you can pack the packs. Okay, um, yeah. Again, not endorsed by anybody, but Ruffwear is probably going to be the top brand for cross country type activities with your dogs. So their harnesses, backpacks, etc., are all super ergonomic for the dog and correctly fitted. So that's the stuff that we use for our guys and the easiest way to put weight in it evenly is... Uh, plastic water bottles full of water or a Nalgene bottle full of water from my backpacking days I could tell you that two full Nalgenes weighs five pounds so one <laughs> Nalgene on each side of the dog and you added five pounds in an even distribution
0: awesome cool yeah I, I actually have a uh, I've got a rough where it's like a skidjoring setup that does not get used enough but uh, yeah for I, sure cane I, across is the new sport for that right uh, Running yeah with your dog yep yep exactly exactly awesome well I think that's that's really good helpful information for people as, as we do look towards hunting season and and gear up, keep those dogs in shape all year round. And, and uh, if you haven't been doing anything, get started because they need it. All right, let's okay. You mentioned ticks and I've been, I've been super excited about asking you about, about this. I don't get excited (laughs) about ticks, so don't get me wrong, but I remember this is before I kind of knew who you were. I remember listening to the podcast With uh, you were on Ron Bain's Honey Dog podcast about a year ago, and I believe that you were the person talking about tick medication. And I this may be totally wrong and correct, but I have this theory in my head that whatever it is, whether it's supplements or medication, you know, whatever they tell me the dosage is it's probably, you can probably stretch it out a little bit more because they're probably trying to make you use it more often, like especially with supplements and vitamins and stuff. And I think you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you were telling, you were talking on that podcast about stretching, stretching out the tick medication a little bit. I don't know. I may be way off. So I'll just cut it off. No, you're not. It
1: was me. I'm just waiting for you to finish. (laughs)
0: Okay. Okay. So, so just to, just to sort of to frame all that up, just talk about tick prevention. You mentioned that, you know, you alter your, your training patterns because of ticks. So talk about, you know, how serious of a, of a concern it is. And then obviously prevention.
1: Yeah. So, um, I sell Next Guard in my clinic. I use Next Guard in my house. I don't, really like the topicals just for greasy hair and grossness. The orals are a bit more effective, though they are a bit more scary because it is working systemically and nobody's going to lie to you and say that it's not a pesticide. It is absolutely a pesticide. Who knows if that's why dogs die of cancer when they're 13, 14, or 15? I don't know, but I can tell you that I've euthanized dogs for tick disease, Lyme nephritis, kidney failure is what that is, caused by ticks um, at four years old, at five years old. So I always tell people, I'm like, yes, it's scary, it's a pesticide, but let me tell you, tick disease sucks too. So you kind of got to find the balance. And Nexgard, for example, is marketed for a once-monthly use, and some of that is for ease of administration for your average. Pet dog client who, you know, can't keep track. It's just easier to do on the first of the month. Um, yep. Mine are on. It was for the last couple of years a six-week schedule so that it decreases the number of doses they get during a tick season. And I stop in the winter. Sometimes they get a spare dose in the winter if I see a really bad flea case at work or something, and I'm afraid that I'm going to bring fleas home or something. <laughs> yeah. um, and I know my guys haven't had it in a while. That being said, this summer, they actually got bumped out to a every other month, not six weeks. It was eight weeks because I bred my short hair this spring, which was right in the prime time for tick season. Frontline, frontline gold, those topicals. If you read the fine print, they are approved for pregnant and lactating bitches. I don't use anything on my girls when they are pregnant and nursing. Next Guard is not approved for it. So obviously they're not on that. She was bred in March, so that's when tick season is starting to happen. She whelped in May. The hardest thing for her during that time of year was that she couldn't run because of ticks, because she wasn't on preventative. So that's a lot of miles on a leash to put on a short hair to keep her happy. (laughs) Um, I thought that raising short hair puppies in the winter was hard because it's cold. Turns out it's way harder to keep their mom happy during tick season when she's not on preventative. So. Anyway, the point that I'm trying to make is that she hadn't actually had a dose of Nexgard since probably November or December because those are the few winter months that uh, we take off. She got a couple wood ticks on her, which are less concerning in terms of carrying disease than deer ticks. But when our grass gets long, because Lord knows I don't have time to mow it, we do get some wood ticks in the yard. So she would get a couple on her ears or if she was just right around the driveway and whatnot. And the first couple that I saw, and it stopped by about a month in where they would still be alive, but she had a couple dead ticks on her. And I was like, oh, my God, she hasn't had a dose of NexGard in four months, and these ticks are biting and dying. So that even pushed me to use it a little more infrequently. But yeah, I kind of monitor it. If I find a live tick on them, obviously I you know, check my calendar and give my doses as needed. And I will tell my clients to bump it out to six weeks. You know, We go to all the talks that are comparing the different products and things. I'm also a fan of Soresto collars. I don't sell them in my clinic because I can't get a bear rep in there to sell them to me to save my life. I've tried, but all of my local field travelers use Soresto religiously and are pretty successful with them. And it's funny to me that they use them on Labradors because the- number one thing Soresto says is that a lot of swimming decreases the efficacy yeah so they're supposed to last for eight months and i think these guys just change them every four instead of every eight so that they're um more kind of up to date on it but those are actually pretty effective as well okay Brevecto freaks me out a little bit because it is marketed to use for such a long period of time um and i that dose of chemicals just kind of scares me so yeah
0: No, that, okay. That's very cool. I, I was, I was pretty, pretty certain that it was you that was talking about that. And, and (laughs) you know, again, it's, I mean, what I want to stress specifically is just the importance of, of tick prevention, obviously. And I think that's, I think that's pretty, if it wasn't, if it wasn't done before, I mean, it's, I, I feel like I get it from my veterinarian, you know, my local clinic. And I think the messaging out there is pretty good. And I, I do feel that, that tick, diseases are becoming more and more there's more and more awareness Um, around it, but I'm but I'm assuming that it's because they're more and more prevalent and and while that does suck, uh there are there are things we can do to, to prevent. So talk about sort of the medication aspect. What about when the fall rolls around in the field, are you a permethrin user?
1: I am not. I just I don't really add a whole lot in terms of sprays and stuff on them. Um, We do see a little bit, obviously, of a boom of ticks again in the fall here, but having anything additional on them, I don't know. There's some products that are marketed as repellents, whether or not they work, who knows. I can tell you that I'm super anal about grooming, so there's grooming equipment in my car, and that dog doesn't go back in their crate without with. They have a tracking collar, tracking collar coming off, e-collar, ID collar, everything coming off because obviously ticks like to get up under those areas where the hair is flattened and it's extra warm, yep. whole body combed over, wiped down, etc. And if need be, they will go right in the dog tub when they get home and get a full bath. And on my coated dogs blown out with a blow dryer so I can see down to every inch of their skin. And I will tell you that meticulous grooming is going to be your absolute best fight against ticks, whether it be in the spring or whether it be during hunting season. What do you do? Like if you're out in the field, you come home and you take off all your clothes and take a shower, right? (laughs) Why does the dog get dropped in the kennel and nobody looks at it to see if there's ticks on it? So if you get them off before there's even a chance to bite, then you're not going to wonder whether or not there was a blood meal transmitted to transmit disease prior to your product that you have them on, killing the tick if you have already gotten rid of it. So
0: Yeah. Now, so another kind of question along those lines, most of the, whether it's oral or Seresto or whatever it is, they're not really marketed as repellents are that I mean they're pretty much Correct. They're, they're supposed to kill the tick that bites yes do you find do you find that they tend to repel ticks or do you think they do
1: probably not the systemic ones because it is 100 percent in their blood ceresta works like a topical it gets into the sebaceous glands of okay. the skin so it's similar to like a frontline gold or something. And I say frontline gold because frontline plus is sold over the counter, but it it doesn't work. Ticks bite right through it and fleas bite right through it. And that's why they came out with frontline gold. If you ask Marielle, they'll tell you that frontline plus still works, but Hey, they also came out with frontline gold. So obviously they know that it's not quite as um, efficacious. So anyway, the ones that are in the skin glands obviously are a bit closer to the surface and you might get some benefit that way. Vectra is one, the Vectra 3D or whatever, is marketed to repel. I've also seen a lot of application site irritation on the skin of dogs that use that. Um, So I don't know. It's just kind of a, I've never been a big Vectra fan, but some people swear by it. But that is one that is marketed to repel. They also make like frontline sprays and different spray repellents like you were talking about that you could add on if needed.
0: Yeah, I, I, I will just sort of add that. I think the Soresto collar, I used it on my dog for one year, maybe one or two seasons. And I, I, I thought it worked really, really good. I mean, it, I didn't find, I don't think I found a single tick biting him. And I think it worked as a repellent too, because it was like night and day difference from the year prior. And I, I switched to one of the oral systemic ones and I've used, um, I have used Brevecto and I've used another one that I can't remember, but, uh, he's on one of them right now. I know that, but again, the, I think they're definitely advanced in, in that tick prevention and, and it's important. And the last thing I'll say about the sprays is one thing that I do that I found that works really well is when I, we go out for a hunt, uh, I'll run the dog and bef- when we come back or sometimes when we leave to let it dry, he's got a, my dog has a pad in his crate. I will take that pad and I will spray that with like a pet safe, mm-hmm. pet safe permethrin blend and then mm-hmm. when the dog comes back, I do the same thing as you. I take off all the collars because sure enough, you typically find a couple ticks under there. So I take all that stuff off and I throw them in there and we'll get out for the next hunt and I will look and there will be dead ticks on that pad. And now that's not to say that they didn't bite him and die from the systemic thing, but I, right. I see dead ticks and I'm happy.
1: Yeah. If you want to know my super crazy trick that we use sometimes, and some of my background is from holistic medicine and more integrative care, obviously coming from some sides of herbs and acupuncture garlic, is a very natural flea and tick repellent but it's not good to give to dogs orally in high doses a little bit it's not going to hurt them but in order to give it enough of it that it would actually work. It has toxic side effects. So you don't want to do that. But I have been known to be crazy enough to buy the minced garlic jar at the grocery store and pour all the juice out of it and put it on a cloth and rub it down over there first. So it's a non-toxic, non-chemical-based repellent. My dogs smell like an olive garden, but I happen to like <laughs> garlic. So <laughs> it doesn't bother me. And I don't do it that often, but I know if I'm really going out in the field and it's going to be bad. I have greased them up in garlic juice before. So
0: There we go. Pro tip listeners that's for you yeah right uh awesome all right well since we kind of were sort of talking about the tailgate check a little bit yeah uh walk us through walk us through the rest of your tailgate check
1: eyes eye wash just saline solution in everybody's first aid kit flush all the seeds and crap out of their eyelids before it has a chance to scratch a cornea or get stuck under the third eyelid hi buddy i'm walking down the road now my kid's walking by me on his pony (laughs) (laughs) Sure, we check ears for any sorts of um, cuts because ears will bleed a ton and it can be super tedious to stop the bleeding if there's even the tiniest little scratch and your dog gets in their crate and shakes their head and whacks the side of the crate with those ear flaps. Again, running a brush through them is going to get little thorns, Things that are poking them out of their skin, out of their coat, you'll sometimes see down the road like a sebaceous cyst or something on a dog, and oftentimes those can be caused by little foreign bodies or things that migrate, get in there. We're not really in the area of um, foxtails, but that's a big thing in veterinary medicine or um, like migrating grass ons, that sort of a thing. So watching for any sort of like nasal discharge from dogs that snort things up when they're sniffing. On the girls, if they're not wearing vests, especially if they've had puppies in the past, on short hairs, maybe not so much a problem in hairy dogs. But checking their nipples, they can get lacerations on their abdomens, around their nipples. Um, My short hair pretty much wears a vest now for the entirety of her career because she has had a couple of litters. So obviously her um, nipples are kind of sticking out there. But yeah, checking between their toes, checking for toenails. I like to keep toenails nice and short and tight to the feet anyway to avoid cracks and tears but looking for those thorns between the pads pad injuries can be hard to heal so obviously if you can fix it before it happens you're going to be better off that way i'm not a huge fan of the over-the-counter emt gel i don't know if you've ever seen that in first have, yeah. or on the yeah. shelf yeah. it's like super glue and it's really sticky and it makes a mess out of wounds and i hate dealing with it after <laughs> however it, wor- it works on pad tears because it will hold them together and keep them protected okay. so at least then you're not getting stuff in there because a lot of these dogs won't tolerate a boot or a bandage without ripping it off or causing further trauma. So... It's for me, it's just kind of part of a physical exam. My brother always used to tease me when I was at work, well would you charge people to pet their dogs today? And I said, well, if your vet only pets your dog, then you should actually be happy that they're healthy and they think they're healthy for once because of all the things that we see on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> but yeah, just running your hands over them for sure. The other thing that I like, warm them up, cool them down. So that time on the tailgate is going to give them time to catch their breath, take some water intermittently, cool down those muscles before you stick them in a crate for sure. So I wouldn't even go from the tailgate to the crate i'd take them back down and maybe walk them around a little bit on a leash to just let everything settle down a bit before crating them
0: good stuff there the eye thing is the eye thing is huge obviously i i've always had um eye wash in my truck my bag my dog bag i haven't always used it until last year i had a i had a i think i we got really lucky but i My dog, we were hunting grouse in Northern Minnesota and I didn't fully realize it until the next day, but like we got done with a hunt right at the end of the day and he was, he was holding his eyes closed. So I was paying attention obviously, but I I would open them up and I couldn't see anything in there. And. Eventually I got one of those on's out of his eye. It was like, you know, like a black needle, like, you know, half the size of my palm. Like I almost couldn't believe that he had that in his eye. I got one out and then over the next 12 hours ended up getting two more out. He had them in both of his eyes. And I I think we were really lucky that they came out naturally. Yeah, Um, absolutely. But yeah, because then I talked to like a couple grouse hunters the following week or so, and they both had them and they had to bring their dogs in to get them taken out. In that situation, if your dog's closing his eyes, I mean, there's something wrong. Try to flush it, do what you can. Is there anything else you can do to try to get that stuff out?
1: Yeah. So I'm a big fan of having triple antibiotic ophthalmic. So yes. like a neopoly back eye ointment in your first aid kit. It is a prescription thing. So you have to obviously work with your vet to get it, but it's safe to use in any case of any sort of eye injury. Hi buddy. So you're not going to cause a problem if there is a corneal scratch or other issue going on in the eye, the antibiotic ointment is going to help lubricate and it's going to treat it or prevent infection if there is an ulcer on that cornea. The time when people get into trouble is either reaching for their own eye drops or leftover from something when the dog had conjunctivitis. And if it has a steroid in it, usually under the name of dexamethasone or prednisone with a percentage next to it is what you'll see in an eye drop. And you do have a corneal ulcer or scratch from a thorn or from an on or a seed or something like that. You can actually um, damage the cornea, the term, that we use is corneal melting um, by adding steroid to a scratched cornea. So, you don't want to reach for anything that you might have from when, you know, the kid had pink eye and you stick it in the dog's eye. So, it specifically needs to be just antibiotic ointment if it's not going to be just a saline flush. Artificial tears from the drugstore work as well, but stay away from anything that's like a or get the red out type product obviously not what not what you're looking for the other thing about that is training from little on get your puppies used to having their eyes open and lids looked at one of my tollers actually has what's called dystichia which is common in a lot of dogs but it's when there's little tiny eyelashes that point the wrong way on the lid and sometimes they'll irritate the cornea and cause a little bit of a teary eye And fully awake, I can actually plop her in my lap and open her lids and take a tweezer and pluck that little hair out so it stops poking her in the eye. And she'll just sit there for it. Wow. So – making sure they're used to being handled so that you can do that or so they don't obviously have to be sedated or something if the vet does need to do um, what's called a fluorescein stain to check for a corneal ulcer.
0: Okay, so so you mentioned ophthalmic, like triple antibiotic. I'm pretty sure I, I, because my breeder recommended something like that to me, and I think I bought some, like, ophthalmic gel off Amazon is that just like not as effective as <laughs> what you're talking about or is it snake oil or um,
1: <laughs> there's like a couple of random places that you might be able to get some teramycin eye ointment usually more from like large animal type veterinary catalogs without having a prescription but usually you it ends up having to be a Prescribed medication. So okay. it might just be more of a lubricant that you have as opposed to antibiotic. But the one that we have at the clinic is called Neopolybac. It's three different antibiotics in there. But if I script it out like through Walgreens or a human pharmacy, usually because my dad called me and his dog has an eye problem, and until I can look at it, I know I can at least start antibiotics, and I have to call it into his local Walgreens a state away, that ends up being teramycin, usually, which is what the human side will jump to so as long as there's no steroid in it you're good
0: all right a couple more questions for you before we let you go let's we so we talked about tick prevention we mentioned what we should have on hand for washing out eyes that sort of thing round out the field first aid kit what are the essentials what do we need to be carrying in the truck and or on our person when we're out hunting our dogs this fall
1: yeah for sure um i touched on this in a little bit of an article with Upland athlete as well. And I didn't break down item by item in the first aid kit because so much of it is common sense. I more did the extra items that people don't think of. So again, if you have a good relationship with your vet and you can, can put something together besides the eye ointment, the two things I would reach for, for everybody's first aid kit are an anti-inflammatory. So Medicam, Rimadyl, Prevacox, Deramax. those are all just the different drug companies. So sure. it depends on what your clinic carries, but that's your doggy aspirin. Don't buy the stuff at the store. Don't Don't give them your aspirin. They're a lot more at risk of kidney disease, liver disease, GI problems, and ulcers from it. So stick with the dog meds. The antibiotic that I like to have on hand and always have on my shelf at home is Clavamox. It's broad spectrum. You can use it to any for anything from possibility of like an early pyometra or uterine infection after a heat cycle, urinary tract infections, skin infections, bite wounds, puncture wounds, lacerations. So it has a lot of good usages. And if you're out in the field and you need to start them on something before you can get it home and get them taken care of, those would be the two drugs that I would have and ask your vet to basically dispense to you for your first aid kit obviously with a working knowledge of it you can't just walk into a clinic and be like hey I heard this person talk and they said you should give me clavamox like that's not gonna work you actually yeah. have to have a working relationship with your vet to have that so those would be the two from the medicine side the other little trick that I like to have on hand in a first aid kit is a men's beard trimmer with spare batteries hairy dogs more of an issue in setters than obviously like my short hairs but if you have any sort of laceration puncture wound etc the first thing you want want to do is shave the hair away so you can see what you have and you can clean it better without contamination. So a non-plug-in but battery-operated trimmer that you can just get in there and get rid of that hair is going to be the best thing. The big jar of the saline eye flush can also work as a wound flush that's safe to flush something out that way with as well. Other than that, it's all the basics, right? Bandaging materials, etc
0: cool well i'll try to uh i'll try to grab that link from you too and we can we can throw that on there and and uh put some of those upland athlete links and excellent the the beard trimmer. i've never heard of that one but that's a good one because uh, you know even sometimes on my setter trying to get a a tick off of him or something trying to get that tick key down there that hair gets in the way i don't think i would shave him for that but uh that's a good yeah. that's a good tip
1: <laughs> yeah it comes in super handy i've used it on obviously my tollers have a lot more hair as well and if i need to shave for a wound or see what's going on just to be able to grab it and not have to uh, worry about being attached to an outlet. In terms of, you know, having in the field with you, really the biggest thing that we're going to be dealing with other than like a traumatic injury where you're just trying to get the dog back to the car would be the possibility of like heat stroke or something like that. So making sure that you're traveling with enough water in case you get into a certain area. We talked about adding weight of Nalgene onto packs earlier. So whether it be a, a camelback or a water bladder pack that you have on you, We teach our dogs to drink out of squeeze bottles, to drink out of like camelback type straws. So they'll lap it if needed. If they can't get into a hopefully clean or flowing creek pond, whatever, obviously drinking stagnant water is a bad plan, but making sure you keep them hydrated is going to be your best bet having them out there with you. The other thing, and I don't hear it a ton in sporting dogs, but dogs use electrolytes differently. So I hear these goofy things of people giving their dogs Gatorade or giving their dogs Pedialyte, and you can actually further dehydrate them because they don't sweat. So if you're changing their osmotic gradient, you're actually going to start pulling water from their body into their intestines by giving them electrolytes orally, which is going to cause you more problems. So definitely just stick to plain water unless it's Specifically, like, I know Purina has a product out there that's a a dog
0: additive. I'm not super
1: familiar with it. But, yeah, don't go grabbing the the human electrolyte replacement
0: therapies for the dogs. Okay, yeah. That's probably just good overall advice. Don't assume that something you can use on yourself works on your dog unless you really uh, have it from a good source. Right, because we
1: sweat. So dogs cool by evaporative cooling from their nose, their tongue, you know, panting. And, yes, you will see... Dogs leave a little bit of a sweaty paw print in certain situations, but even like horses, there's a huge market for electrolyte replacement therapy, but they sweat, they full on sweat like we do. So that's kind of an easier route to go. So yeah, no Pedialyte, no Gatorade, nothing like that. So
0: great stuff. So last question for you hunting season is coming up this fall. I know you're super busy, but do you have trips planned? Will you just make the most of it there in central Wisconsin? What do you, what will you do this hunting season?
1: Part of it is, yeah, make the most of it locally. Um, my husband usually sneaks away for a week or so to go somewhere either out west or up north, um, for ducks. I love to see my tollers hunt ducks, but personally I don't love to see four o'clock in the morning. So, um, <laughs> That is part of where some of the driving force behind Upland comes from, and I do actually like to cover ground. I don't like to sit still and shiver either, so being out and working with the dogs is definitely a good thing. I would like to get up north a little bit. I do have some friends on the East Coast, so there's always that idea of, you know, the New England grouse hunt obviously has a bit of a draw there, so we'll see where we end up. Sometimes it goes by faster than uh, than we think it should, but
0: it absolutely does I was looking at my calendar today and there's a few free weekends on there but they fill up fast and, and it goes by quick but that's uh, that's part of it what makes it so special so I I really appreciate you joining us on the podcast Christina thank you for being a resource for myself and the listeners I like I said I really appreciate it we'll get some links and stuff in the show notes and uh, where would be the best place for people to go to find your articles just the upland athlete links that we that we post on the show notes
1: yeah, so they're all posted as notes on the Upland Athlete Facebook page. Um, okay. I don't know that they're all up on the website at this point in time. They will be eventually. Sure. my clinic page links to some of them, and then we just got brave with the teenagers in the last couple of days and had them start us up some Instagram for the clinic as well. So I'm not familiar with it, but I put the 15 year old in charge of it, and then they can make it work. So
0: um, <laughs> awesome! Well, I'll try to get you, I'll there. try to get that that uh, Instagram handle off of you and we can we'll post it up there too yeah for sure <laughs> All right thanks again Christina I, I like I said I really appreciate it and have a great hunting season and uh, we'll keep in touch yeah no problem have a good night all right take care
1: bye
0: You've been listening to the project Upland podcast that does it for this episode. as your host I would like to personally thank you for listening to this episode of the show and remind you that we are brought to you by our friends at Pine Ridge Grouse camp. And on X Maps. Head over to ProjectUpland.com. We've got it all for you there articles, videos, more great stuff from Project Upland and Northwoods Collective. Check it out at ProjectUpland.com. And don't forget, you could be next week's winner of the Project Upland Podcast Gear Giveaway. All you have to do is subscribe to this podcast, hit that little subscribe button, leave us a rating, leave us a review, and share the podcast post. You could be next week's winner. Also, we would love to hear from you. Please use the contact form at projectupland.com or send me an email directly at nick.larson at northwoodscollective.com. We could talk about bird dogs. We could talk about shotguns. We could talk about hunting trips you have planned. We can talk about future podcast guest suggestions. I would love to hear from you. Send me an email. That's it for this week's episode of the Project Upland podcast. Thanks again for tuning in, everybody. We'll See you on the next episode mm